Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on October 20th, 2022. We are under three weeks from Election Day, which is November 8th. Absentee balloting is underway. Early voting is coming up starting October 29th and running through November 6th. So the 2022 election is here and it's time to make sure you know when, where and how you're voting and also start to really be thinking about who you're planning to vote for. So let us help with that. On the ballot this year in New York are races for statewide positions, governor and lieutenant governor together on a ticket, state controller, state attorney general, one U.S. Senate seat, the one held by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who's running for re-election, all of the state's House seats and all of the state's seats in the state legislature. That's 213 in total, 63 in the state Senate, 150 in the Assembly, and more. There's also a statewide ballot question on an Environmental Bond Act proposal and another three ballot questions just for New York City voters that relate to city charter amendment proposals. You can find two podcast episodes here at Max Politics on those ballot referendums. A lot to be thinking about. Check it out. Get to know it. See if you're going to vote yes or no on those four questions if you're a New York City voter and the one statewide proposal for those outside the city. Today, we're focused on the race for New York State Comptroller, and it's the morning after the lone televised debate in that race between my guest, Tom DiNapoli, a Democrat and the incumbent, and his Republican opponent, Paul Rodriguez, who you can catch on a companion episode of the show here as we get you ready for voting. Comptroller DiNapoli has held the position since 2007 and won statewide elections in 2010, 2014, and 2018, and he's now seeking another full term in the position as the state's chief fiscal officer. He's also the Working Families Party nominee, along with being the Democratic nominee, while Mr. Paul Rodriguez is the Republican and Conservative Party nominee. My conversation with Tom DiNapoli in just a moment. As I said, the state controller is the state's chief fiscal officer responsible for ensuring that state and local governments use taxpayer money effectively and efficiently. That includes overseeing the $220 billion state budget, and much more. It includes running state accounting and payroll, reporting on state finances, managing and issuing state debt, reviewing state contracts, auditing payments, auditing state agencies and public benefit corporations, auditing the MTA, for example, and investigating the operations of other entities, including oversight of local governments like New York City's, and the role crucially includes serving as the sole trustee of the roughly $270 billion New York State Common Retirement Fund, that's the pension system, and administering the retirement system for over 1 million people. That is a lot of responsibility. That is a statewide official. The state controller's office employs roughly 2,700 or so people and has eight or nine or 10 offices around the state. I'm not sure exactly what the number is at this point, but my guests can clear that up for us. Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you? Ben, it's great to be back with you. And thank you for a very comprehensive listing of our responsibilities. Most people don't realize the breadth and depth of what the state controller's office does, but you summed it up beautifully. 
All right. Thank you. And, and what do you have? You have eight regional offices, your Albany base. And I don't know. You're testing City. me out. You're giving me a trick question. I think it's nine, actually. But yeah, we're, nine. we're, well, because some of the offices are are not necessarily staffed every day right. uh, because our auditors are in the field, you know, and then they go in. So we're, we're uh, you know, the, the main workforce is in Albany in the capital region. Uh, after that, New York City has about, I think, probably about 250 people. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we are on Long Island and across upstate. So yeah, we're, we're, we're in many, many corners of New York. So people should listen to this discussion we're about to have. They should listen to my conversation with your opponent, Paul Rodriguez on a companion episode of, of Max Politics here. They should also watch the debate if they didn't catch it. We're talking the morning after Spectrum News hosted a, a very substantive, very solid, um, what, what sort of, democracy in action. It looks like it was a cordial debate. Uh, you you guys disagreed a bit, but folks should find that one hour debate from Spectrum News as well. You can find it online and really get ready to vote in the in the controller race here, along with the other races on your ballot. Uh, the governor's race, as always, takes up a lot of oxygen, but these are very important other elections happening as well. So before we get into maybe some of the specifics where you where you disagree with your opponent or a few of the things we saw during this debate, and especially for those that didn't catch it, Zoom us way out here. You've been in the office since 2007. You're a seasoned veteran in the state controller's office. You've won these three statewide elections previously. Um, you you see someone, you, you have your sort of two minutes to, to explain to someone on the street why you deserve another term. What are the highlights? What do you put at the top of your argument for why you deserve another term in the office? I'd say, I'd say uh, proven track record, experience, uh, and I think that experience matters as we enter very uncharted territories uh, with our economy, with the impact uh, that'll have on government revenue, obviously for New York City, for New York State, localities uh, all across New York. And, uh, you know, I've, I've proven uh, from when I first started that I've had a steady hand uh, at the job. Uh, I'm not the flashiest guy in politics. This isn't the flashiest office in politics. But as you pointed out in the intro, we we are so fundamental in our work to keeping New York State moving in uh, the right direction. Um, and, you know, keep in mind the context. When I uh, became controller, selected because my predecessor had to resign, you know, the big issue was restoring integrity and credibility to the office, putting a priority on ethics and also on transparency. And and I, I believe, not saying in a bragging way, but I believe I fulfilled the expectations that I do that. And by having credibility, when we offer our comments on state fiscal practices, state budget. Uh, It's listened to when we issue a report or an audit. Uh, Certainly the fact that we have uh, probably the best funded state pension plan in the country. I mean, this is, you know, the bread and butter, nuts and bolts of what a controller is supposed to do. And 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 for me personally, Ben, if I could say it, I, I've done a lot in public service, you know, two decades in the state legislature, 10 years as a local government official on a board of education. I, I really consider a great privilege and an honor to be the state controller, to work with the very dedicated men and women who do the job each and every day. And, you know, some folks said, well, why do you want to do it again? I said, you know what? The issues are pressing. It's a troublesome time. I've got the experience that'll uh, make a difference. I love uh, the work work that I'm doing, of course, I, I want to go before the voters again. So I do hope I have the chance to serve for another four years. Now, obviously, uh, you know, right up there in the top uh, responsibility or the top couple, depending on people's perspectives, of course, is 
the pension fund, making sure the pension fund is funded, making sure that, um, you know, that's managed responsibly. That huge responsibility aside, um, when when we're facing New York, all these ups and downs, COVID, recession, uh, stock market swings, a variety of volatility, you know, it's, it's almost like there are periods of, of steadiness, of course, as we saw, you know, a pretty decent one pre-COVID. Um, but how do you see the the sort of most important pieces of your role, again, putting sort of the management of the pension fund aside for a minute, when it comes to state finances, when it comes to sort of raising warnings about what, uh, you know, a dip in, in the economy could do, how do you sort of see your major function and what you, um, you know, are sort of needed in this role to do as you make that pitch? What, what about the state's fiscal picture, the state's economy? Do you really come in and do that you think is the the value that you bring, especially to the role? I'm I'm certainly mindful that that I'm not a legislator, right? I'm not the governor. So, you know, in terms of of making decisions on policy or budget, uh, that's not the controller's role. And, and our office is, you know, traditionally appropriately so, the least partisan of of all the roles. But I do think we have an important uh, opportunity to provide a, a thoughtful analysis and information to help guide policymakers elected officials, and and I think uh, equally important, uh, having the public be informed. So, you know, we've always done regular reporting and commenting on on state revenue, state spending, state fiscal practices, state budget. The the era we're going through now is so uh, colored still by by the COVID experience and what that did, uh, you know, to wreck the economy and then by extension to, to wreck government revenues. And we are we've been in a recovery mode. The recovery now is problematic because of you know some of the trends and 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 points that you raised earlier. So I think what what as I view the control state control role right now is besides doing the usual that we would do, we've we've had to. Uh, tailor more of our work to the reality of the times. And I think we'll be doing more of that. So for example, um, particularly for New York City. I mean, New York City has always been the economic engine for the state. New York City was hit the hardest by the pandemic, by the close down, taken longer to recover than the rest of the state and the rest of the nation. So we've, with our New York City office, have had a particular emphasis on looking at trends, drilling down in different sectors of the city's economy, looking at how well they're performing, how well are they recovering, you know, tracking the federal money coming in, uh, you know, updating that information on a monthly basis. Basis. Obviously, the MTA uh, is so crucial to the recovery for the New York City region and obviously by extension for the entire state. So really stepping up our both the uh, reports and the audits, looking at the MTA's uh, uh, financial standing, um, doing more regular reporting on sales tax revenue, which is key for uh, uh, all localities and certainly for the for the state as well, doing that on a monthly basis. So I really think, Ben, a big part of what I believe we need to do, not only in terms of the reporting, but even in terms of our audit work and the other reports we're doing, really tailor it to the discussion of, of what is the recovery look like. And, and one of the other areas that 
that I've asked the staff to focus on. We know that we had too many communities across our state uh, that were not doing as well as others before the pandemic. And those inequities that have existed for a long time only got worse during the pandemic. So uh, housing affordability, food insecurity, disparate health outcomes. These are some of the areas we've touched on in the past, but I really asked my folks to, to redouble our efforts to, to really take a look at these issues in a post-pandemic, in a recovery time. Again, to, to better inform the public discussion, uh, the policy discussions that are going on out there uh, so that we can have a, a more thoughtful discourse and come up with some real solutions. So so again, we're not we're not going to make law. That's not what we do. But what we could sure help direct the discussion in a more positive way than sometimes happens in our state. Mm-hmm. It seems as though there's these these obvious um, responsibilities related to the job of controller and, and, and they're technical in some ways, um, you know, they're, they're sort of very finance-based and numbers-based, but there's these ways that people bring their personalities, their political ambitions, and their politics into the role, of course, you, you know, that can't be avoided, especially when it's an elected office and you're, and you're running for the position. But the degree to which that happens is sort of one of the big questions, and it's one of the big questions of, of any election, and that's the case here. You are, are a Democrat, obviously. You're also on the Working Families Party line. Your opponent is a Republican, also on the Conservative Party line. Um, how do you differentiate sort of your values and how you bring those values to the role? You just mentioned this this um, you know sort of theme of equity and looking at at equitable recovery. You know, there, there's people I think um, on your left who want to see you take a more progressive uh, you know vision for the role of state controller. There's people on your right who want to see you take a more conservative approach. Uh, people on your right often who want to see you sort of speaking out more against the other Democrats in statewide office or the Democratic-led state legislature that we've had uh, in full over the last few years. So say a little bit about how you think about bringing values and politics and sort of style into this office, um, because you are are obviously always trying to sort of find a, a balance on that, as anybody would in the role. How do you approach that? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a great question, uh, and certainly one I think about on a regular basis. And, you know, you're right. A lot of the uh, work is is probably more of an administrative nature, right? Because I'm running an agency. You know, as you point out, 2,700, 2,800 people, uh, depending on the day and the and and the fill level. Uh, but you do have a, a role as an elected official that that is somewhat um, unique. Look, I recognize we're in a more polarized time than we've been in in a long time. You know, for, for much of my political career, I was very always very viewed as a very left person, especially coming out of the suburbs, you know, more conservative area. So now now sometimes people look at me and, and say, well, you know, he's too moderate, you know, as some of the folks on the left. Yeah, I'm kind of the same person I've always been, but everything has changed, right? Become more more, more polarized. So, but I, you know, I would say that that uh, you're right. You, you do bring your values and your perspective. Uh, that doesn't change. The controller's job is interesting, again, because it's not such a direct policy job, but it is an elective office. And and although it's the least partisan to run for office, you have to, you know, have the support of a party, right? I mean, one of the interesting ideas is if we were going to move to nonpartisan elections, would the controller's office be a logical place, you know, to start with that? It's Mm -hmm. an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I guess one of the advantages I bring uh, is that I've been around for a while, so I kind of have a strong sense of who I am and what I stand for. Uh, And I, I do believe that the 
perspective that I bring in terms of some of the choices that I make in terms of what issues for us to do a report on or what's included in our audit plan certainly reflects my values. Um, you know, obviously in terms of some of my thoughts in terms of how we 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 uh, manage uh, our investments while we're always focused on the bottom line. Obviously, some of these other issues come in as far as our engagement with the corporations. But I, I believe that the perspective I bring is very mainstream New York. I, I won't say Republican or Democrat. I think I think New York is a state that uh, has folks that understand there's a bigger picture out there. There are, there are big imperatives that we, we need to be uh, mindful that we're very diverse and every community must benefit. So I, I certainly try to reflect not just my values, but more importantly, what I think are, are basic, you know, New York values. And I, I think that's part of why uh, I've been successful. And look, I, I don't say this in a bragging way, Ben, but I, I've served with four governors, four lieutenant governors, uh, no, six lieutenant governors, four attorney generals. Uh, I don't know how many Senate majority leaders, couple speakers. I think what we've been doing uh, is has been striking the right balance and and doing it in a way that that people respect the work. You know, I know a lot of folks don't necessarily focus on the state controller's office, but the folks that do, whatever their political philosophy, I, I think they feel that that we bring a very balanced approach, and that's what you want from from the control. The controller's office is not going to be the place that you, you you do the pot shots or you throw the bombs. That's not what the job is about. If you start doing that, you really lose credibility. You know, you, you then just become a partisan. So, so I, I think we struck the right balance. Some of that's my own style, but a lot of it is my choice about how to continue the tradition as I see the office. Yeah. On that very note, that's one of the areas where you get people on your left and your right who want to hear you speaking up more, maybe not just throwing bombs and maybe not, you know, motivated by your own political ambitions. People don't really want that, right? But they want a controller who might be a bit more outspoken and instead of just issuing a report, getting out in front of, you know, the, the state capitol and holding a press conference and getting, you know, uh, a coalition together, for example, or something to, you know, raise a red flag more brightly, right, about something that your office is warning about or propose some possible solutions to something or call out uh, you know, a pay to play culture that is really alarming to you or, you know, in, in a very concrete example, and then I'll, I'll let you respond, uh, you know, the governor not signing this piece of legislation that was passed that would restore some of your office's um, sort of pre-audit contract review powers that Governor Cuomo and the legislature stripped from your office a, a, a while back, um, going out and saying, hey, this is important sign the bill already or, you know, legislature deliver this bill to the governor and let's get this done. I mean, this is really inappropriate that this is taking so long. You know, people people want to see a little bit more from of that from you on, on both sides of the aisle. What do you what do you say to that? Well, I think I think I do a little more than you give me credit for the question. I mean, look, I you know, I, I've you know, to do do the weekly press conferences, and I can't do them on Sundays because somebody else has a monopoly <laughs> on Sunday press conferences. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of that I've seen other people in action over the years. It, it, there's a thin line between using it appropriately and just doing it for self promotion purposes, and and 
I guess it would be a fair criticism to say that I'm not the most self-promoting person in politics. That may not be a bad thing, you know, again, for this particular job. But I think we picked our I picked our spots. And, you know, you mentioned the issue of restoring our our oversight authority. I mean, we've been sounding the alarm on that. Since it was stripped back in, I think, beginning in 2010, 2011, uh, you know, did I, you know, stand on the steps of the Capitol and throw a tantrum? No. But we we said very loudly and clearly uh, publicly in our budget reports that that was wrong. Uh, in my conversations with legislators, I said it was wrong. My, you know, obviously I had big disagreements with the previous governor. Again, not 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 loud, but but thoughtful disagreements. I mean, you know, to me, there's too much noise in, in politics these days, has been for a long time. Uh, and and I, I think I guess maybe I'm more of a substance person than a noise person. But I think we've been very clear. And, you know, to your point on restoring that authority, that is the perfect example where we actually have built a coalition uh, again, not around. Tom DiNapoli, but around the issue of what is the appropriate role for the controller. We work with the legislature to craft that bill. Uh, and and I, I'm very appreciative to uh, uh, Senator uh, uh, Reichland Melnick and Assemblymember Zabrowski for carrying it. I'll be honest with you, Ben. I was pleasantly surprised the legislature moved on it and overwhelmingly in the Senate and the Assembly. And now you see the coalition just the other day, again, reinvent Albany and others. Uh, you see memos of support from unions. You know, we we have been quietly building support for that in, in, in I think, a very responsible and responsive way. You know, um, when the governor uh, presented to the Public Authorities Control Board recently the proposal for the Penn State redevelopment that included all the real estate development, uh, you know, I think we were the the lone voice in the end who said, you know what, don't take a vote on this. You need to hit the pause button. We we don't know clearly enough what the financing is going to be. Penn Station does need to be rehabilitated, but does it make sense to make a deal with this particular developer to do all these office towers uh, when you don't really know what the numbers are going to be? The, what is the benefit, you know, to the state and to the city? Mm-hmm. It's not clear. Uh Obviously, the PACB uh, took another direction and they, they started the first step of, of, of all the approvals. But, um, you know, I think that's another example. We, you know, I have not been uh, reticent about taking positions that are contrary to uh, what even, you know, governors in my own party. You, you, you remember well, whenever we did audits on economic development under the previous administration, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo often took issue with what uh, we were saying. So, um, yeah, I mean, do I do a, a weekly press conference, you know, waving the red flag? No, but I, I think the way I've handled it has has been maybe tougher to, to get through Um because the press sometimes, with all due respect, prefers someone yelling and screaming than someone being more thoughtful. But again, I think in terms of of what gives us the credibility, I think my style uh, works. We pick our spots. Yeah. We pick our spots, and um, you know, when we when we have, we're not always successful. But I think by and large, we have been. I want to get into a few specific uh, topics with you, but um, before I do, in terms of this uh, differentiation with your opponent, Paul Rodriguez, very sort of, I mean, there's off, there's in each election, you know, that winds up, you know, most people choosing between obviously the Democratic and Republican nominees, but this one, especially just the two two choices here. Um, what's What's one thing you'd say other than the things you've already outlined about how you describe why you think you deserve another term? Is there one thing you'd say about 
to voters, you'd say, this is why not to not to elect my opponent. This is one way that he would take the office in the wrong direction. Here's something that he's talking about doing that I really disagree with. Is there one, you know, top uh, way in which you would differentiate yourself from him that isn't about your experience and the way you've done your work, which we've already, you know, sort of touched a lot on? Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned the debate. That was the first time I met him and and he, he seems like a nice guy. So I want to say that uh, at the outset, you know, he touts his Wall Street experience. But when you listen to his discussion of how he would view managing the pension fund, a very uh, clear differentiation is that I have the perspective of, of having been a fiduciary uh, as trustee for the state pension fund, you know, for 15 years, where where I look very much at the long term value, the sustainability of our investment strategy and the companies we invest in. And, and he was very clear last night, I'm not, not putting words in his mouth, and you'll, you'll ask the question when you interview him, but he was very clear about not considering uh, issues like uh, environment, social and governance, the ESG debate that seems to be going on a great deal these days. Uh, and he's just interested in, you know, in results. And, and you know, when you consider environment, social and governance issues, that is totally related to results. It's totally related to de-risking your portfolio. The the Wall Street mentality, the bad part of the Wall Street mentality, I'm not saying it, it all of Wall Street uh, has this mentality, but that short-term thinking, what are the quarterly numbers? What are the yearly numbers? How do I make the number? I mean, that's really what led to the Great Recession, right? Too much risk-taking to chase quarterly return. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the framework that is his experience. And I think it's a risky experience for managing the pension fund. Whereas my perspective is we, we know that much of our holdings are in stock and much of the stock is through index funds that you're going to be invested in for the long term. Work with the companies you're invested in to make sure they are performing well in the environment. They're treating their employees in the appropriate way. They have a, a responsible executive compensation structure. They have diversity on their boards of directors and in their workforce. That's how the investment long-term is a good bet for mm. a pension fund that is patient capital, is going to be around for a long time. So I think, you know, last night's debate showed a very different approach to uh, investment philosophy. Uh, and I think my my approach is the one that makes the most sense to protect the retirement security of our 1.1 million New Yorkers who are part of our pension system. Mm. Definitely going to be uh, asking him a bit more about that that philosophy, because I think, as he even noted, ESG is also something that has come out of Wall Street in a lot of ways. And it is this idea of of taking into account, you know, lots of sort of risks and potential uh uh, positives and negatives of, of but, but you also see, Ben, it's, you see particularly uh, from Republican states, uh, a real attack on it. It's become mm -hmm. oh, sure. it's become politicized in a way that to me makes no sense. I mean, we've been doing we've and we've evolved and we've really enhanced our approach uh, on how to I mean, so well, all you do is checking a box. Well, no, we're not checking a box. It's a much more in-depth analysis. Why the Republicans in these red states have chosen to make this one of their bugaboos, I, I, I don't I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it, my, unfortunately, I think my opponent opponent uh, buys into that mentality. And I, I don't think I don't think that's the right way to do it. The I mentioned in the intro and this came up at the debate, there is this four point two billion dollar environmental bond act on the ballot. All voters across the state, you can vote yes or no to approve or disapprove this bond act. And if approved, it would allow the state to issue more debt to fund 
a, a wide variety of environmental and climate and clean air and clean water projects and so forth. I have a whole uh, separate podcast episode on it so people can find that. Um, Paul Rodriguez, your opponent is against it. Are you urging people to uh, vote yes on Prop 1 on the Environmental Bond Act? And can you explain your support for it if so? I'm voting yes. Uh, you know, keep in mind, controller's office, we don't have a, a controller office uh, position on it, but Tom DiNapoli has a, has a position. Mm-hmm. You, you remember, Ben, my last uh, five years of the legislature, I chaired the Environmental Conservation Committee. So these issues are very personal and important to me. Um, Couple of things. First of all, in terms of, of as you'll go into more detail uh, in your other uh, discussion, it's going to fund very important environmental initiatives: uh, drinking water protection, wastewater management, open space preservation, and money targeted to deal with the climate issue, building in resilience, helping us meet the very ambitious goals we have in New York State to deal with the issue of climate change. You need money to do this. So, just on the merits of the projects, uh, I'm very much in favor of it. Much of this money will also go to our local governments across uh, the state, the city, and other local governments mm-hmm. to implement their plans related to these issues. So it, it's a benefit to taxpayers in that regard at the local level. And, and the last uh, part of it is that this is the kind of debt we should be doing in New York. It is voter approved debt. That's what was comp- contemplated under the state constitution. As you know, we've been very critical of the constant backdoor borrowing through public authorities. And 94% of our outstanding debt is this backdoor borrowing with no accountability from the voters. That's wrong. This debt is debt that uh, um, the voters can approve it. And one thing that was mentioned in the debate, we did not, I didn't have time in terms of the rebuttal. By approving it, 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 it doesn't mean automatically the state's going to go out and borrow $4.2 billion. I mean, bond acts take years, if not decades, to be spent out. And uh, because New York does have a high debt burden, this will be factored in before the state goes out to, you know, to borrow. So this notion that we can't afford it because we, you know, we you can't afford another four billion dollars in debt right now. No, that that's 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 an oversimplification in terms of how this will all play out from a from a, a fiscal management debt management perspective. So uh, it just for me checks all the right boxes as as something that people should be voting in favor of. I'll certainly be voting in favor of it. And this is not the type of thing that your office should be weighing in on. I know it has this electoral piece to it, well, but it, it went through I mean, the, the legislature. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can't look like. I mean, I'm very clear about what I'm doing. We can't. We can't use state resources to promote um, right. a ballot initiative. So. Ethics, well, ethics, ethics always yeah, gets well. Uh, well, but, but I have said, I have my voice, and and, and yeah. you you ask the appropriate question, but I I can't yeah. have uh, controller office resources be used to advocate for yeah, yeah. Uh, a, an election. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this this you know you you make a very interesting distinction there. This sort of gets me to thinking about a number of things that came up uh, at the debate, you know, which is a great clarifying debate. And I always um, love debates moderated by Earl Lewis and Susan Arbetter uh, because they're so substantive. Uh, and, um, you know, on, on a few other issues, uh, so you didn't have a really chance to, to weigh in on your take on that. So I'm glad you did there. But on a few other issues, you, know, you sort of kept in line with one of these things that, that comes up with how you how you do um occupy your office, which is which is a hesitancy to really take a, a stance on some issues. You want to wait and see what the governor and the legislature might do and then do an analysis of it, but not necessarily give your controller, Tom DiNapoli, sort of uh, stance on something. And I think 
congestion pricing seems to be in that category where you said it needs more study, but not doing it would create a, a really big hole in the MTA capital plan. At this point, is it not appropriate for the controller to say this really should move ahead so the MTA capital plan is funded as needed or for the controller to say there's too many issues with this and then lay out what they are to to delay it you know should should, should you not have more clarity for people on that you know i mean for 20 years i was a state legislator i had to have an opinion on everything right and again, I'm very mindful. I think roles are important. Uh, but this you know, is happening. I, this has already been passed. It's yeah, no, I, no. I yeah. mean, look, I, there's a process. There are hearings. People have had some suggestions on changing it. Some people are adamantly against it. Um, my big point always is 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 the bottom line. If you're against congestion pricing and you're going to create a 15 billion dollar hole long term in the MTA's capital plan, what's the alternative? Right. So uh, it's not my office's job to come up and propose congestion pricing, mm-hmm. nor is it our job to, to to say, yes, you should do it. No, you shouldn't do it. This is what the folks at the MTA came up with as their solution to the problem of paying for the capital plan and the issue of reducing traffic congestion in New York City. Uh, that's their responsibility to come up with it. The public has time to comment on it. Uh, the process will play out. I don't have a vote in it. I'm not going to presume to act like I have to have an opinion on everything because that's not that's not my role. If I still wanted to be a legislator, I would have stayed there. If I wanted to run for governor, I would have done that. But my position on, on budget issues and congestion pricing is similar in that regard. What's the bottom line? We have a the MTA is facing an existential threat in terms of its financing, both in terms of operations where it's been kept alive by the federal money that's come in that's not going to be there. They have uh, out year budget gaps that are significant and have to be dealt with. We said in, in our most recent report, they're going to need more funding from their funding partners, right? That's pretty loud and clear. Uh, Congestion pricing, which is on the capital side, you may not like it, but at least they came up with a plan. If you're mm-hmm. if you're not in favor of it, what's the what's the alternative plan? Uh, I, you know, the process will play out. We'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, if if congestion pricing is going to be knocked down, then my question will be, what's the alternative? And and if we don't keep the MTA system in good repair, uh, see, it's been hard to get full ridership back. If if the subways aren't appealing to people, the trains are falling apart, it's only going to get harder to have people want to use the train. So I think that's the appropriate role uh, for this office. I, I don't I don't think you need another, you know, uh, voice taking a position on every single uh, we, we we have unique responsibilities and roles if we start acting like we're a member of the new york city council or or the state legislature we're not going to get uh, our job done yeah we're in our last few minutes here with new york state controller tom DiNapoli, the democratic and working families party candidate for new york state controller seeking re-election in this year's uh, general election which is coming up fast so folks should be ready to vote and that's why we're having this conversation and others to help get you ready here. Last couple of questions for you, Controller Napoli. Um, last time we spoke, which I think was in August, you talked about looking at some of the trends around um, population loss in the state. Uh, there's lots of you know questions always about our high, earner, high earners leaving for lower tax states. There's questions about are our, our lots of young people leaving because they can't find affordable housing, You know, all sorts of issues like that. There's um, 
economic challenges in different parts of the state that have been, you know, uh, really having trouble keeping their economies going for decades now, uh, or, or more recently, some revitalization in certain parts of the state, too, of course. Um, this is coming up a lot in election season, right? New York just lost another congressional seat. Uh, we saw out of the census, so it'll be down to 26 from 27, and that's a long-term trend uh, dropping more and more. Any thoughts on how uh, a next uh, gubernatorial administration, the next state legislature with influence perhaps from your office can try to, you know, really take additional steps to to stem the tide on, on this? Is it in your mind um, about reevaluating re some of the tax rates? Is it in your mind about it really addressing the affordable housing crisis? How are you thinking about these these issues that relate to the state's population, the tax base, uh, just thriving communities and so forth? Yeah, no, it's a it's an important question, Ben. Uh, you know, I mean, look, we're, we're approaching it, uh, uh, you know, at a macro way in terms of statewide, particularly on the issue of taxpayer migration. You know, because a lot of folks say, and often it's based anecdotally, that you know, so many people are leaving the state. Well, you know, we did report. We're going to update it as we get more information. Has there been a net migration? Yes. Has it been more likely people on the upper end of, of the income level? Uh, yes. Has it been an avalanche of people leaving? No. Uh, now, as we move forward, right, there's always a lag in terms of the data. Uh, is that trend getting worse? If it is, we have to be concerned because, uh, you know, roughly the top 1% of taxpayers pay about 40% of the personal income tax revenue coming to the state. That's the biggest revenue source for New York. And of course, uh, the legislature and the governor have increased the tax rate for the upper income New Yorkers. And you, you do have to ask that question. Is there a tipping point where you just can't keep raising taxes, uh, even on people who uh, are doing pretty well? Because you look at the combined tax rate for the state and New York, if you live in New York City, right, uh, makes it higher than the tax rate in California. So, you know, these are questions that, that you know, hopefully our analysis will help to um, guide a discussion as, you know, these issues are considered. Because don't forget, if if, if we have a really tough budget next year and, and as federal money is spent down, if the economy goes further down, uh, will we be talking about cutting services to close budget gaps? Or will the debate be, as it often is, raising taxes, and often that's about raising it on upper-income New Yorkers who are already paying more. How do you how do you work all that out? Look, the affordable housing question is an issue uh, all across our state. It plays out differently in different regions, but that is another area where, um, you know, we just put out a report on, on home ownership, uh, you know, showing New York uh, compared to other states, you have a lower percentage. And when you break down the demographics in terms of racial, ethnic, you also see great differences there. So, you know, these are issues that, you know, again, I hope that the kind of analysis and data we put out there uh, will help in, in, inform the discussion. And I do think in terms of keeping people here, jobs are a big piece of it. So our continued criticisms, you know, talk about one of the areas where I have been critical of how we handle economic development. I think that's key. We do a good job of big announcements and we don't do a good job of tracking uh, how many jobs are really created as, as were proposed and intended. So if you want people to afford the housing, they better have a decent job. So uh, yeah, these are all issues that we're going to continue uh, the kind of uh, analysis that we've put out there, which we hope will contribute to solutions. But, but many of these issues 
they were complicated before the pandemic. And now that, you know, so many things are different uh, post-pandemic, uh, hopefully post-pandemic, uh, it's going to require even more thoughtful analysis than we've had before. Yeah. All right. Well, in closing, I'll say I thought it was I thought it was particularly interesting in the debate that uh, in, even though you're you're from Long Island, you you still live on Long Island. Uh, you know, you you sort of weighed in with the the challenges and and the questions you see in this sort of Long Island fund that was created at the last minute in the in the most recent state budget, where Governor Hochul is now uh, spending uh, lots of this money in the lead up to election day with lots of Long Island announcements with where that money is going. And, and you said during the debate, it should not, you know, things should not be put into the budget like this. They should be determined ahead of time. They should be lined out. You want to fund a project. Okay. Figure out what the project is and put it in the budget. Clearly not, you know, sort of uh, what, what people often refer to as a, as a slush fund. So I thought that, that, that commentary on the lump sums, even though it was directly talking about your backyard uh, was, it was a, a pretty uh, strong example of, of that. And, and, uh, and that was a pretty interesting commentary. So as we close, maybe you want to uh, add a thought on that. No, I, I look, we've been critical of, of the lump sum strategy for a long period of time because it, it, it's not transparent to the press or the public and the press are the ones who will inform the public. And, and you know, it's not clear who, you know, often not clear who makes the final decision on who gets what money. That's not the way to do it. it, it the projects are usually very worthy, but just say what they are, line it out. And that way, everybody can see what they're voting on. You know, I remember some of the years when I was in the legislature when they we resorted to lump sums. You know, the legislature is often flying blind on some of this, and 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 it's just not it's not the smart way to spend the money. Uh, look, the budget process in New York is always one of trying to keep all the regions happy, and if we're very candid about it, part of why the three hundred fifty million came about is that people were critical of the of the money for the Buffalo Bill Stadium. Yeah, and folks would say, "Well, wait, what about what about us?" So in terms of and I said this on Long Island shortly after the budget. I went to a meeting and folks were saying, how can you have all that money spent on the stadium? I said, well, you got a $350 million pot of money for your projects. I said, why do you think that came about? It was part of the, you know, it, I'm not saying it's right, but yeah. that's 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 budget making, right? It's right. not not always pretty. But if, if you're going to do it, just, just be clear, line it out. I'm sure some of these projects were already in a pipeline. Just be transparent about it. That's all, and then and then people can debate whether they make sense or not. But just to put in three hundred fifty million placeholder last minute, right before people are voting on a budget, that that's not the way to do it. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. New York State Com Comptroller Tom DiNapoli is running for re-election here in twenty twenty two. He's held the office since two thousand seven and won three statewide elections since, seeking another term here. Uh, if you're victorious, uh, hopefully we'll talk maybe end of the year, or early next year. I want to, uh, you know, get you to weigh in a bit more on where this Penn uh, Station area plan is heading and a, and a few other projects and trends. So we'll talk again in the future. But uh, Tom DiNapoli, thanks very much for the time and be well. Thank you, Ben. You too. 